0: Thank you, musicians, for that. I'm going to ask you to, over the next few moments, if you would give me your attention. We have an unusual next uh, few minutes or so. In some ways, I'm going to share from the Word of the Lord, and then we're going to transition into something else, and then we're going to transition into baptisms. But I do have something from the Word of the Lord that I want to share with you today. This morning, I'm going to talk about for a few moments, a widespread problem and a biblical solution, a widespread problem and a biblical solution, which um, is a a way of introducing uh, something special that I want to share with you this morning. Most of you are aware of the fact that churches, uh, at least some churches, have a reputation For not being the most agreeable people in the world. Have you ever heard of those types of churches? Um, I remember one many years ago. I won't divorce the state. But they had this reputation. And it was a family church. Just about everybody in there had the same last name. And uh, this church had the reputation. For just being the fightingest bunch of people you've ever seen. And they couldn't get along. They couldn't. They just couldn't get it together. But you let one other person outside cross one of them, and boy, they came together right quick. But they just, they act like they were miserable. They couldn't stand one another. And all of us have heard different stories about uh, things that happen in church. Church fights and splits, and my goodness, it goes on all over the place. That's why I've used this as a title today. It's a widespread problem. But there is a biblical solution, and we're going to give a bit of attention to that today. It was a very important few minutes, the last few minutes, that our Lord would spend on planet Earth. It was the last few minutes that he would be here for a long, long, long time. He was about to ascend into heaven He gathered his disciples together and he began to share with them some things that were very important. Now Jesus knew he was about to ascend into heaven. It didn't catch him off guard and he wasn't surprised. So before he ascended into heaven, and what we mean when we say that is, he was standing there in front of them one moment, speaking to them, and all of a sudden he just lifted up and disappeared into the clouds And ascended to heaven according to the Bible. Now, in case you're uh, a guest here today, let me just say one thing up front. This is a Bible believing church. So if the Bible says He ascended, we believe He ascended. If the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way, in fact, to salvation, we believe that. So, uh, let's just clear that up right quick. We believe what the Bible says. We are a Bible believing church. So Jesus ascended, but before He did, um, and, and obviously He's coming again too. When He was here the first time before He ascended, we could refer to that as the first coming. When He comes again for the second coming, um, That remains to be seen exactly how everything's going to work and the chronology of all that's going to happen. But we believe it's coming. We believe there's going to be a rapture. We believe there's going to be a a resurrection. We believe a lot of exciting things are going to be happening in the not-too-distant future for the children of God. But He's coming, of course. But what we're talking about this morning takes us back to His first coming. It refers to His earth walk of 2000 years ago it included his birth in bethlehem it included his childhood it included his baptism in water which we will um, revisit here after a few moments it included his miracles anybody here believe that jesus worked miracles while he was here oh yeah he absolutely did has he ever worked a miracle in your life One song says, it took a miracle to hang the stars in place. It took a miracle to put the moon in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's washed away our sins and we've become new creatures in Christ Jesus and children of God. So, as we talk about what he did, we come to his... His crucifixion on the cross. We come to his resurrection from the dead. And after Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says that for 40 days he appeared to his disciples on different occasions. Then at the end of that 40 days he calls them together. And he is sharing with them something very important. Before he ascends to heaven. They won't see him again until the second coming. Now. As we talk about and as we think about that for just a moment, I'd like for us to consider this. If you knew that you had 15 minutes left on earth and you called your family or your friends to you, do you think the words that you would share with them would be significant and important? You know you're not going to see them again. You know you're leaving and they're not coming with you. So therefore, it stands to reason, does it not, that Jesus would choose his words very carefully. With forethought, with intention, he would tell them what he felt like was the most important thing for them to remember after he was gone. And so we began to read what we have come to call the Great Commission. In Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The Great Commission. The Great Commission is not only given in Matthew 28, however, we're going to turn to Mark 16 and read a little bit more information concerning that event. Mark records it this way, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then we turn over to Luke 24, verse 47. And that gives us a little bit more insight into this thing that we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, repentance is a word we need to talk about for just a minute so we understand what it means. The word... Repentance literally means, in its full sense, the implications that we receive from it when we study all that's involved in that. It involves number one, confessing your sin, saying, "I'm sorry, I recognize, Lord, that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sins. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done the other thing. I have failed you. That's that's part of repentance, but just telling the Lord that you're sorry." For your sins is not complete repentance because inherent in the word means that you turn away from your sin and go in a different direction. Now, when I repent of my sins, as, as all of us have had to do, if we're Christians, we go to the Lord, we acknowledge that we're sinners, we repent of our sin, and we say, Lord, I've been going this direction, but I don't want to go this direction anymore. I want you to forgive me my sins, write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to be a child of God. And then we turn around and we go a different way. We don't go the way we used to go. How many know once you become a Christian, you don't do what you used to do? That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So the things that I repented of when I came to Christ, I need to quit doing. Amen? That's biblical. And not only is it biblical, it's just common sense. Why would I say, Lord, I'm sorry for doing this. Please forgive me. And then go right back and do it again. And so we we make this. Commitment to the Lord. We confess our sins and then we turn from our sins. That's repentance. In response to our repentance, the Lord does something for us called remission of sins. Remission means absolution or amnesty or forgiveness or pardon or remittal. In other words, our sins are remitted. Our sins are forgiven. He washes the slate clean. Years ago in the first church I served, over forty, about 40 years ago, There was a man in that community who owned the ABC store, the liquor store. One of the young men in our church went to witness to him. And this owner of the liquor store said, "Oh, I couldn't come to your church. I've been wicked for a lot of years. He was like in his 80s. He says, "I've, I've been, no, God would never accept me. That man was wrong. God will accept you. Whether you're 86 or 18 or 186, it doesn't matter. If you still, if you'll turn to Him and listen, nobody's gone so far and done so much that God won't forgive them. If they'll go to Him and confess and repent, He'll give remission of sins. So, this next slide kind of summarizes for us from all those passages the Great Commission. Now, the words Great Commission are not in the Bible. But we have assigned those words to this very important event, this commandment from the Lord, the Great Commission, we call it. It says, first of all, you have to go. How many know there's a difference between go and sit? I mean, even my dog knows that, right? <laughs> that joy, our family will tell you, we've got a dog named Sniper. And, and he knows what sit means. Now, his memory's not very long. But when I say sit, he sits. And, uh, there's a difference between go and sit. The Lord did not call us to sit. The Lord called us to, to go. That was really, really weak. The Lord did not call us to sit. The Lord called us to oh that was much better the lord called us to go listen the great commission this very important thing that the lord gave us this assignment that the lord gave us all if we're children of god he didn't say sit he said go the great commission's for us all so go first of all we've got to go and as we go we we preach the gospel we proclaim the good news listen to what the lord did for me Man, my life was a wreck. I was a drunkard. I was this. I was that. I was addicted to drugs. But I, I repented of my sin and I went to the Lord and he just, he changed my life. Man, he, and then he began to tell them the good news because that's what the gospel is, right? Good news. That's what the word gospel means. So you begin to share the gospel with them. You tell people how the Lord has changed your life. Tell them how you have peace in your soul and joy in your heart. Tell them how you can feel his presence and you know that he's real. That his spirit bears witness with your spirit. So you go and tell other people about the good news, how Christ has changed your life. You tell them about repentance and remission. And then baptizing them as part of the Great Commission, which we'll do this morning. Teaching them, teaching them, teach people the word of God. That's biblical, right? But then he says, also make disciples. Now, a lot of people would look at those two phrases, teaching them and make disciples, and they would think, well, that's the same thing. That's not the same thing. No, you can teach people all day long. That don't mean they're going to do what you teach them. Right? So teaching them is where they have knowledge, but becoming a disciple is when you begin to do what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. And the discipline that is involved, you're a disciple. The discipline that is involved in putting what you know to do into reality and beginning to do it and becoming a Christ follower and follow his examples, that's, that's making disciples or being a disciple. And who are we to, to, to do this for? Who are we to present this message to? Everyone, the nations. There's, there's nobody left out. Nobody left out. And where are we to start at home? Listen, we need to be concerned about world missions. We need to be concerned about China and and Korea and all kinds of other places in the world. But I tell you what, we're supposed to be concerned about Wake County and Franklin County. It starts here. So that means the Lord needs us because we're the missionaries here. We're the the people who witness here and share their gospel here. That's us, me and you. That's why we don't sit, we go. And everywhere we go, we find a way to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that this morning. These were our Lord's last words. Got a couple questions for you. Do people always do what they're supposed to do? That was weak again. Do people always do what they're supposed to do? Do people always remember what they're supposed to do? If you're like me, sometimes you forget. I remember when I was growing up and my dad sitting over here and mom, dad was pastor. And my dad used to, My he's told me once, he's told me I know a hundred times, probably a thousand times. He'd say, I believe your memory is this long. You remember telling me that? He forgot. No. I've been told that. But you know what? I wasn't all that different from most of you. Most of us have a tendency to forget, right? So even though we know, sometimes we need to be reminded. So there is a hindrance. There is a hindrance to evangelism that I want to address this morning. And we see it very clearly pictured for us in Scripture. They remembered, these disciples remembered for a while... The priorities that Jesus had laid out for them. And, and you know what? They experienced great success. Did they not? Think with me. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says there were 120 gathered in the upper room. Wow. Most of the time we read about 12. And there's 120 in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 are added to that number. And then the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily, such as those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, there was another 5,000 added. I call that church growth, folks. And then in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says that the Lord added to the Lord daily. People were being added. It was just, it was just routine. But then we get to Acts chapter 6. And all I can say is, uh-oh. Could you say, uh-oh? There's a problem. You have heard that phrase, Houston. We got a problem. Well, we get to Acts chapter 6 and listen to what the Bible says. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. Oh, I can't believe it. Somebody in church complained. Imagine that. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or the Greeks because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just, let me just kind of embellish it. Well, not embellish it. Let me unpack it a little bit. Something was happened, something was happening in that church that a certain part of the church didn't like. So they began to complain. Well, you tell me what happens. When one group starts complaining about the other group, then what happens? Oh yeah, an eye for an eye. (laughs) Then they just turn right back when they start complaining. Well, that creates a climate of complaining. Am I right? It's like it's contagious. It's like it just grows. It, It begins to infiltrate the whole body. So what happened was things began to get get kind of problematic there the the unity was kind of not there anymore and things weren't going as smoothly as they used to go so what happens is the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of god and serve we don't have time to to deal with this stuff so they chose deacons to bring the people together and and to work out some of these things and get people back out on the right track. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. You can't be a complainer and be going at the same time and make any headway. That is true. I don't know who said that. You got to have, listen, you got to have your heart in the right place when you're going and sharing the gospel with people if we're going to be effective. Amen? Amen. Well, let's let's face it we've already acknowledged that a lot of churches have a have a reputation of being kind of hard to get along with got some people there that are kind of hard to get along with well one of the worst things you could do is bring a lot of new converts into a place where everybody's got a bad attitude amen well is this what christians are supposed to do and look like that's why the bible tells us that we're to be We're to be very careful. The Bible says in Psalm 133, I think it is, how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? In unity. It's good to be in a place where people are getting along. Nobody wants to be in a place where everybody's fighting unless it was that place in Las Vegas last night. That's where a big fight was held last night in case you all don't know. That's okay in Las Vegas. But that's not good in a church. Amen? Amen. And so wh- what I want you to see is the Lord had given these people a great commission. Things were going great. Look, 120 to 3,000 plus 5,000 people kept being added. Things were going great until they hit this snag in chapter 6. And what you read in chapter 6 is some complaining. We might say some belly aching. A biblical word is murmuring. You know what? We don't think murmuring's that big a deal. The Lord called it sin. If you don't believe me, go back to Numbers thirteen and read that, and look what God did to a group of people who were murmuring against him and Moses and Aaron. So what we have here is this this smooth sailing, this this climate of growth. Something happened it was being affected by the complaining one group against another group now what i want you to notice is the apostles came together and said we got to do something about this this can't this we can't abide this this has got to be fixed so they got the deacons together to address the situation so that they could themselves could be given to ministry the word and keep preaching and praying and ministering to people and so the bible says in verse 7 after that Act was taken care of. Then the word God, then the Word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They were doing great. Then they had complaining. It kind of put a hiatus on the growth of the church because of some of the things that were being said and what people were doing. But they got that worked out, and then the Bible says, Then the Word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. ...in Jerusalem. So no people don't always do what they're supposed to do. Sometimes they don't always remember what they're supposed to do. But we've read about this great growth that happened in the church... ...and how that it was stopped. How that it was halted. And now they needed to fix the problem... ...get back to basics and start growing again. When the focus of a Christian... ...whatever that focus is... ...when the focus of a Christian become something other than Jesus and his will, the results will be undesirable. In Acts chapter 6, complaining brought momentum to a standstill. And it always will. Because there's a comfort zone there that people felt good with. They were just growing and growing and growing. Wait a minute now. They were growing and growing and growing. But they were also supposed to be going and going and going. What did Jesus do? He said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Beginning at home. Now you read these first few chapters of of the book of Acts and you think well all this happened in a couple of days. No, not in a couple of days. Quite a bit of time had passed. And the church in Jerusalem had grown. It had grown large enough now to where there was a lot of people and some 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 growing pains and some complaining. And what they needed to be doing was reaching out and evangelizing and telling people the gospel, but they were still stuck in Jerusalem. Well, the Lord knows how to put people on the move, doesn't he? Because the Bible tells us in chapter eight. At that time, great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Don't you think with me. Because a lot of people read this and they think that the apostles were the preachers and everybody else were the listeners. But Acts chapter 8, Verse 1 says, at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So let's read it carefully. All the laity, all the Christians fled. All the preachers stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else scattered. Are you with me? So then the Bible says in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then we read in the rest of the book of Acts in the New Testament the great growth and the things that happened as they turned their focus where it was supposed to be toward the Great Commission. I'm going to ask for about six or seven Volunteers, young men, young men, just to come stand here with me. I'd like for about six or seven men to come and stand here and and make a circle. Dexter, would you join them? Harold, come on. Yeah, you're young. You're young. You're young. Now, what I'd like for you to all do is make a circle. Look what they're doing. They're all standing there staring at each other. Have you ever wondered why when you ask somebody to make a circle, that's what they do? That's a lot a lot like a lot of churches, isn't it? Just a little closed-in group, hardly not any room to get in there anywhere because they're standing so tight, see? I mean, you've got to work to get in this group. <laughs> and then when you get in there, I'm not sure you want to be there. But churches, they're, they're so focused on each other and what they're doing. Sometimes maybe a little bellyache can get started. I don't know. But I've always wondered when we make a circle, why do we do it this way? Each of you just doing about face and face outward now. Oh, boy! Did that not change things? Because now instead of being focused on each other and the church and having problems and us forward no more, right? Now they're they're still a circle, they're still a church, but now their focus, their perspective is what? It's outward. That's where it's supposed to be. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. The church is not supposed to be a holy huddle where we come in and get in our little groups and get so familiar with each other we get sick of each other sometimes. We're supposed to actually turn out and bring other people in and enlarge that circle all the time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. That's a visual there that I probably would suggest that you might not forget. Because the the perspective of looking outward for people who need jesus is life-changing and it was extremely important according to our lord we must remain diligent to ensure that his priorities remain our priorities would you agree that the lord saw it as a priority for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel for every creature he listen he had just a few minutes left with his disciples that's what he chose to talk about it's important for us. But what's a killer to that? What will halt that? Probably quicker than anything is when Christians begin to turn and focus on each other. I'm going to tell you, we start focusing on each other too much, we're going hard to get hard to live with. Amen. Amen. Don't, you, don't any of you men say a word. Just sit there. Act like you didn't even hear this. But ladies, I know your husband sometimes gets on your last nerve. Now I know you love him. But he sure can irritate you sometimes. Is that right? Come on, give me an amen. amen. <laughs> now, you, you all see what I'm getting at? Even the people that are closest to us that we spend the most time with, sometimes they irritate us till we just about can't hardly stand no more. That's life. Can everybody say that's life? We got to get over it. You you can't hang on to stuff when you're in a, in a, if if you hang on to stuff and won't let it go in a marriage, you're not going to be there long. So you have to let it go. It's that way in a church. You're not going to ever agree with everybody in a church. Not everybody's going to do things the way you want it done, when you want it done, how you want it done. But we have to learn. Because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Amen? Amen. So we need to love each other, and we need to be reaching out. And I'll tell you what, the more we reach out, and the more people we win, the more people, some of them will be just like you, and you'll be happy. I'll guarantee you, there's nothing wrong with most churches that have a little problem with People getting along with each other. Nothing wrong with most churches that 50 new members wouldn't fix. Some new blood. Some some success doing what Jesus called us to do. Does that make sense? Because he told us to go and preach the gospel. Win people. We look in the New Testament, we see great growth. Well, I'll ask this question Jesus said, go and make disciples, Matthew 28, verse 19. But how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that? And that's what I want to introduce to you now is something that, that we're very excited about. Let's highlight what's really important in our minds. Now, you know what? It's not not the new car, the new house, or a bigger boat, and a lot of the things we give attention to. What's really important in life? There's some some very basic things here life or death heaven or hell is that important being saved or being lost that's important that's a big question and when churches across america are paralyzed like the churches or the church at jerusalem was they're they're debating what color the carpet should be. Do you know I have known of churches that split over what color the carpet should be? If that's not the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life, people dying and going to hell in the community and a church is splitting over what color the carpet is. Some people need to lighten up. Amen? And there's a thousand things we could name that cause people to get all perturbed and worked up and aggravated and have an attitude and complain, murmuring, incidentally, which the Bible calls a sin. And the really important issue is being neglected. Yeah, there's a widespread problem, but there's a biblical solution. So as we transition just a bit, I'd like for you to give your attention, if you would, to this five-minute video. As the lights are about to go down where we can see that. Listen very carefully, if you would, to this five-minute video. Is there a place called hell?
1: And if there is, what is the purpose of it? Many people don't want to think about it. Others who think about it conclude erroneously that there could be no place like hell. The truth is that the Bible says more about hell than it does about heaven. Jesus could not have been clearer in his depictions of eternal punishment. According to the Word of God, hell was not created for man. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. In a pre-cosmic fall, Satan, who was the anointed cherub that covered, and those angels that followed him in that initial rebellion were consigned to the place called hell. God evidently created a place for them, And consign the majority of them to that place until the day of judgment. Well, then it comes to the human family and what happens to us at the moment of death. You know, your God is such a good God, such a gracious God, that if you don't want to have anything to do with him, he will grant you your wish. God doesn't coerce anybody to come to Him. He made you in His image with a volitional choice and you must choose Him. If you choose against the Lord Jesus, then what happens is that when you die, there has to be a place for you. You have chosen not to be with Jesus. You have chosen not to be in heaven. You have chosen not to enjoy the company of God. And so, whatever option is there available? He created hell for the devil and his angels, but all of those who choose not to go to heaven choose by opposite choice to go to hell. And so it is that hell is a place of eternal retribution. Now, I don't want you to think, however, that the place called hell is the punishment itself for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is hell, no. The wages of sin is death. Now physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. What happens in hell is that forever, a man or a woman is separated from the presence of God. Now think about that with me for just a moment. There is no human being walking the face of the globe today who is separated from the gracious mercies of God. As the Bible says, God causes it to rain on both the just and the unjust. The world brings forth fruitfully, and so we have plenty to eat. And all kinds of other blessings come from God, including the most gracious of all the blessings of God, the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ our Lord. But if a man does not want to enjoy the benefits of God, then he may make that choice, and he is confined forever, according to the Bible, to a place of eternal rebellion called hell. Sometimes I deal with men a great deal, and one of them will say to me, Well, I don't want to go to heaven because all my friends are going to be in hell. Well, but you don't understand. In hell, it is a place of consummate selfishness. And As a matter of fact, your friends on earth won't be your friends in hell. There'll be no friends in hell. Every good thing is taken away in hell. Well, it's not the fires of hell, as awful as those may be. It is the separation from God and from good that makes hell so awful. I don't believe that you want to go there. I believe that you want to experience even the greater blessings of God than those that you've experienced now. And I'm here to tell you today that there is a way to do that. Jesus said... Him that comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So wherever you are today, whatever you may be doing, just stop what you're doing right now and call on the name of the Lord. Ask Him to forgive your sin, to come into your life and make you a new life and a new eternity, and He will do exactly that. You'll find other videos on truelife.org that can answer the questions that are dearest to your heart today. Not only that, but select Find a Church and put in your zip code and it will bring to your attention churches in your area where you would be welcome. And not only where you would be welcome, but where a pastor will take time with you and answer personally every question. Thank you for joining us today on truelife.org.
0: Now how many of you would agree with me that that was a very well done video on the subject of hell? Was it not? Uh, excellent. And and he, you might would be um, somewhat hesitant to get in a conversation with somebody about hell and try to explain it. Uh, But a video like that could really be a big help to most of us. So um, this is part of a uh, truelife.org. Most of you got a card today in your bulletin when you came in. You've already had a chance to look at that. You've noticed that on one side of that card, it has New Life Church with our information. What this amounts to is an invite card. This card is designed to hand to someone and say, "Uh, we sure would like to have you join us sometime at New Life Church. And by the way, on the back side of that card, let's go on to that one. On the back side of the card, there is a a website where you can go get free answers on practically any subject that you can think of relative to the, the issues of our day. There, as you look on the back of the card, you've noticed probably that there are videos there having to do with Um, um, abortion and gay marriage and uh, abuse Um, there's a wonderful video if you if you look on under abuse where josh mcdowell many of you will recognize that name uh, he set out to prove that the bible was just a hoax and ended up being converted and has become one of the greatest apologists of the scripture in america but J- Josh McDowell tells his story on one of these videos about abuse, where he was raped as a little boy for years on a consistent basis, and nobody would believe him. And he tells that story about how God worked in his heart and uh, helped him to get past that. Just a lot of there's a, a a video about Mormonism. Is Mormonism true? And you listen to these on all these experts. You listen on these videos. You listen to experts. I mean solid, biblical, well-trained, articulate people who are explaining the answers to these questions. They are very well done. But the one on Mormonism, Mormonism, you go through this whole video. Many of them are 14, 18, um, I'm thinking fishing here, 14, 18 inches, 14, 18 minutes long and um, absolutely first quality. They are great videos. So what happens is you you give somebody a card, you invite them to church, ask them to join us sometime. You don't have to go any deeper than that except to say on the back of the card, you'll see a website, you can go get great biblical answers to all kinds of tough questions. And then say, God bless you, and walk away from them. You know what they'll do? A lot of times they'll take that home and they'll go to that website and start checking those videos out. And it will answer some of their questions. And then... Uh, before we go any farther, um, Mo, if you'll take us to um, the other video with the pastor on it. And he's going to navigate the website. You'll see where he's going here. We have just a couple more that we need to take a look at. And then we're going to hasten on with our baptism. Ingredient number four is the one I'm speaking of. While you're there, go ahead and click. Well, we'll do, we'll do find a church after this. Yeah, that's fine. Find a church. People, You put in your uh, your zip code or Wake Forest, North Carolina. And when you do that, um, click go and the map comes up. And our church will show up there as a participating church. So when you click on our church, you'll see it right there on 401. Bingo, right there. When you click on that, uh, it comes up. Our profile, name of our church. You click on that and you see our church, our profile our information, our service schedule, uh, all of that is right there. Now, if somebody is somewhere else in North Carolina or South Carolina or California, as far as that goes, visiting and somebody hands them a new life card and they go to, or hands them a card from their church and they go to our map searching, they're still going to find new life church on there. So it opens up a door for a lot of people to be directed to our church where they can call the pastor for, for discussion, help with problems or whatever, and they can also review these videos. Okay, ingredient six, please. Excuse me, ingredient four. Here's a pastor testimonial about this um, program before we move on.
2: My name is Tom Shepard. I am the lead pastor at First Baptist Church of Addis in Addis, Louisiana, also known as the Church at Addis. I'll tell you a quick story about how I met a guy by the name of Jesse Connors. Jesse, uh, in charge of truelife.org, was out marketing his product at a conference that I was attending, and I got to listen to him tell some other people about how these cards were utilized to be able to do evangelism within the church. I listened, and I sat down at the conference. I flew back home, and I prayed about it, and we were at a point in our church that we needed some growth and we needed some things to happen. At that time, we had about 195 members. I called truelife.org, got involved, and got plugged in and started utilizing those cards. And let me tell you, two years later, with now over 600 members, what a great culture of evangelism that has been created here at this church. And I have truelife.org to thank for that. Uh, Our guys can go out there with a card anywhere they are and simply say this to our people, and this is what we teach them. Hey, if you got an issue in life or a question you've ever wanted to know about the Bible and or religion or whatever it is in life, why don't you go to this website and check out this card and uh, take a look at it? And what has happened is a constant stream of people who are curious about those things coming into our church. Relationships being built where... It has taken me hours and hours and hours of discipleship time to try to get these guys to to grasp the concepts of building these relationships. It's become a simple thing in simply handing a card and saying, hey, check this out if you got five minutes. And when they do, the results are fantastic. I can't tell you how great it is to be a part of something that is affecting the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to check it out. I promise you, you'll have great results. God
0: bless you, have a great day. There are many, many testimonials from churches who have done this over the last several years, and they all just speak glowingly about the results from people watching these videos, directing people to your church, people searching for answers. Um, for, for those of you who are not on the Internet, um. You you might be tempted to think this is all crazy. But did you know that just about everybody now, just about everybody who visits a church will go online and check it out first, according to statistics. So people are on the net, on their phones all the time searching and looking. So we're talking today about outreach and evangelism. And that was a high priority of Jesus. Amen. The Great Commission. It was a high priority to him. And I think it's going to have to become a high priority for us. If people are being dis- saved and discipled, not much else is going to matter in a church. If it's growing, God's being lifted up, and people are being converted, it's just, it's going to make a lot of the other stuff just disappear. And people are not going to be sweating it. They're not going to care anymore. So here on the table, I have... Um, A thousand of these cards. Little envelopes with seven cards in each envelope. What I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments, we're going to come forward and pray with those who are going to be baptized right before we baptize them. And you're going to come and just, uh, if you're visiting with us, you're a guest, you don't have to come. But just so everybody will know, all we're going to do is stand here and pray together. So you don't need to be worried about we're going to try to get you up front for some reason. Well, I am trying to get you up front for some reason. I want, you to take one of these, I want you to take one of these packets with you. And between now and next Sunday, I'd like for you to pass a few of them out. How do you do that? You just walk up to somebody and you say, Hey, friend, you attend church anywhere? No, he doesn't go anywhere. Well, listen, I attend New Life Church in Wake Forest. We'd love to have you come join us sometime. And on the back of that card... There's a great website that will show you all kind of videos, answer all your questions. God bless you, buddy. will want you know we love you. Is that easy or what? And then they go home because they want to know what that website's about. And next thing you know, they're either calling or coming to church or going somewhere else. It doesn't matter as long as their needs are being met. Amen? And there's a lot of other people doing this, which now since this past week, we have got our stuff up. Uh, they'll be directed our way from other people passing out their cards works both ways. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for us and a great ministry. So when we come for prayer, if you would just grab one of these and carry it with you. And this will be something we'll be revisiting. Once a month at least we'll probably be showing the video, a success story. Um, we'll keep this before our people probably every Sunday. I'll try to remember to say, how many of you passed out some cards this week? You don't want to be the only one that didn't raise your hand. So we're going to, we want a culture, we want a culture of evangelism created in our church. Amen? Because if we do what Jesus told us to do, he's going to honor it. And this is the way you don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to gather a crowd. You don't even have to be able to explain the whole Bible. All you do is hand somebody a card and, and let the experts take care of it. And then they can call a pastor or whatever if they want some counsel or some help. So we thank you so much.